This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hey everyone, it's Major Garrett and welcome to our new podcast. Did you know we have a new feed completely separate from the takeout as well? Please just search Debriefing the Briefing. Click subscribe and then if you can, and we'd really love this, drop us a rating and or a review. Pretty soon, you'll have to be subscribed to the new feed if you want to hear new episodes of debriefing the briefing. Thank you, and now let's start the show. We may have some embers, and we're going to put them out of corona, but we may have a big flu season. But that's different. Flu is very different from corona. The fastest way to reopen America is to continue to do what you've been doing. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly, but at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. You know, if I were advising the governor, I would tell him that he should be careful. And I would advise him not to just turn the switch on and go because there is a danger of a rebound. From CBS Audio, this is Debriefing the Briefing. Here's CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent, Major Garrett. Hello from Washington and welcome to Debriefing the Briefing, a summary of the daily White House Coronavirus Task Force Briefing, April 22nd, one hour, 37 minutes, the 47th briefing of its kind. President Trump participated throughout and he said that he disagreed with Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp's decision announced this week to allow gyms, nail salons, barbershops, bowling alleys and tattoo parlors to reopen soon. The president saying in his disagreement it was, quote, too soon. And later in the briefing, he added this. So do I agree with him? No, but I respect him and I will let him make his decision. Would I do that? No, I'd keep him a little longer. I want to protect people's lives, but I'm going to let him make his decision. But I told him I totally disagree. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the National Institutes of Health, echoed those sentiments, saying if he were asked by Governor Kemp, he would also recommend going more slowly than the governor currently contemplates. President Trump also said at one point during the briefing, it is possible that COVID-19 won't come back at all this fall. That prompted several questions to his health experts. And Dr. Fauci said when asked, we will have COVID-19 in the fall. I am convinced of that. However, it was also pointed out that if COVID-19 recurs in the fall, There is a general sense among the president's advisors that it can be targeted and that through testing, surveillance and tracing be located and dealt with more rapidly than this springtime version of COVID-19 was. And that, the president said, should give every American some degree of optimism. COVID-19 raises all sorts of questions about the environment, the environment we're living in and staying home orders, but also the environment generally. And I want to bring into the conversation Bob Deans with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Bob, first question, what has COVID-19 meant for the environment on this Earth Day? 
Well, great question, uh, Major. I think, you know, you go back to that first Earth Day 50 years ago, and we were facing a environmental crisis that really upended the lives of every American. Um, we had oil smothering the beaches of California. We had smokestack pollution killing forests. We had tailpipe emissions inflaming our lungs, and we had uh, rivers so choked with toxic pollution in the Midwest, they were literally setting on fire. And here we are 50 years later, we have a global pandemic that has once again upended our lives in a completely different way. I think the connections are that you, in both cases, what we found with uh, the environmental gains we've made over the 50, uh, past 50 years, Major, have been about paying attention to what the science tells us, taking action to prevent a crisis from becoming a calamity, and protecting our most vulnerable people, preparing uh, for those aspects of the crisis that we know are going to hit, trying to prevent the worst of it. Your organization, those in the environmental movement, don't say the remedy to dirty skies is everyone staying home perpetually and suffering massive economic calamity. But does the awareness that we're gaining of the ability to be productive at home give us a glimpse possibly, Bob, into a new economic future that isn't as involved with commuting? as just a simple question. Yeah, no, it is a simple question. And I think for those people who can do that, that's important. But we're also mindful, uh, Major, that many of these uh, 25 million or so Americans who are out of work now, working from home isn't an option for them. Many of the people on the front lines of our uh, service industries, those people who are delivering packages to our homes, they don't have that option. And those medical heroes, the people who are doing the work today at risk to their own lives to help heal the sick, they don't have that option either. So um, it's a great option for those of us who have it, but we need to build a, an economy that works for all of us, including these people who don't have the option of working from home. To what degree has the Trump administration either used COVID-19 or advantaged itself because of the distraction of COVID-19 to push further in a deregulatory agenda as it deals with the environment? I'd say three ways, Major. Number one, um, they have actually taken advantage of this uh, to try to, dis while people are distracted by COVID, a lot of um, mischief has been afoot. Uh, last week, for example, the um, administration had an opportunity to strengthen uh, soot rules. This is soot that, that we're breathing in our air that a Harvard study has shown the more of that you breathe, the more vulnerable you are to actually dying from COVID because it can cause lung and heart disease. It compromises our ability to fight that. The second thing they have done is a kind of blanket overall, what we call don't ask, don't tell policy for industry that has been uh, given a holiday, if you will, on reporting to the public its pollution levels. That's very important because the only way we know as citizens what we're dealing with from neighboring uh, industry is through these reports that have to be made public. And the EPA has said, uh, you don't have to do that right now. That's a problem. And then finally, 
Well, we're seeing efforts. Um, the president has been talking in the past 48 hours about bailing out the oil and gas industry. That would be the wrong way to go. We don't need to be bailing out a dead-end industry. What we need to do, be doing is providing help for those workers in that industry who may have been laid off or may have had their hours curtailed in a way that's hurting them. They need to be provided direct benefits not benefits to investors who were already beginning to move away from this industry before the crisis started, Major. So on that point, uh, dead-end industry, I was recently, recently as February in uh, West Texas, Odessa Midland area, where not only had they a pre-existing and long-standing standard oil and natural gas drilling operation, meaning essentially vertically, but they had also developed the new technology of fracking to do that kind of exploration on a vertical and then horizontal way, and found many resources that were untapped and untappable because of this new technology, which meant jobs, which meant income, which meant increasing American domestic production, something that I know you know the president talks about favorably all the time, not only in an economic but a national security context. So those people think that's not a dead industry. It's being revived before our very eyes. Your response? Well, certainly that has uh, shaken up the industry, but it's come at a great expense, uh, Major, that we haven't quite reckoned with in this country. You know, every time we frack a well, it produces something like two and a half million gallons of contaminated water. That water gets blasted back underground into aquifers, porous uh, rock that holds underground water. Uh, that is a horrendous situation right now, and it's happened to more than 100,000 aquifers around the country as we speak. Number two, huge amounts of methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas, escapes from these wells. The previous administration put in place a, a rule to curtail that pollution. This administration is doing away with that. And finally, we've seen in some parts of this country, major like Oklahoma, live earthquake zones developing as a consequence of blasting all this contaminated wastewater back into these aquifers. So we're paying a very high price for this. What we need to be doing is shifting away, not overnight, we didn't get here overnight, but over time in a deliberate and focused way, shifting away from oil, gas, and coal and moving to cleaner, smarter ways to power our future. And right there in Texas, Major, where you were, Texas is now getting 15% of its electricity from these wind turbines that are helping to keep the family ranch and farm intact. That's the kind of thing we need to be investing in for a cleaner, smarter future. Bob, are there larger issues of human encroachment on habitat and animals moving closer to humans that are implied or indirectly linked to viruses, and not necessarily specifically COVID-19, but the spread of viruses from animals to humans just because of increased proximity as a result of loss of habitat? That's a good question, um, Major. I don't really know the answer to it. I know that um, we are seeing animals coming back into um, suburban and urban areas as people's activity has uh, lapsed off. Um, but as to the proximity with viruses, it does appear, if you look at what happened with uh, SARS, if you look at what's happened with some of these other viruses, that kind of jump um, from an animal to a human being, going back really to the AIDS crisis. Um, it does appear to be something that we need to get a handle on. Of course, this is kind of the flip side of globalization. Um, you and I have uh, 
spent our lives in a world where globalization was deemed a, a really good idea. Uh, a connected world was going to make us a better world. It's going to make us more efficient. It's going to give everybody more opportunity. Um, you, know, you, you still believe that, but you also have to understand that one consequence of that is as we are connected, a virus like this can spread globally in an instant. And uh, Pierce, that's where we are at the moment. We've got to figure out a way out of this. Uh, any sense at all, and it's maybe a premature, a lo- uh, an entirely t- premature question, Bob, but there is this sense that the Earth, uh, for all sorts of understandable reasons, as we live globally on almost a, a shutdown scenario, is getting a bit of a breather. And one of the alarms that scientists who study this carefully were raising is that we were nearing this place of mathematical progression in terms of car- greenhouse gas emissions and that things were getting warmer faster, that there was sort of an accelerating problem with this. Is there any sense that this breather that the globe is getting will delay that or change the modeling in any way? Well, it's it, you know, Major, I've seen people writing about it, and it all, almost gets us into a spiritual realm about what we believe about a big picture here and, and what is the message that we're getting. What we're trying to focus on is how do we continue to grow an economy in a way that provides just an equitable opportunity for all our people, but does so in a way that is actually sustainable. In other words, we don't believe that any free society major is stuck with bad habits that do more harm than good. We're not stuck with oil, gas, and coal as our only options. We have homegrown American power from the wind and the sun at our disposal. We can invest in efficiency so we do more with less waste. We can build right here in this country some of the best all-electric cars in the world, and we can create that smart electric grid and storage system of the future, putting millions of our people to work and creating a, a, a more sustainable future for our children. Bob Deans, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you, Major. The voice of Bob Deans from the National Resources Defense Council. We thank him very much. That is all for this episode of CBS Audio's Debriefing the Briefing. Until next time, I'm Major Garrett in Washington. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go... Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom 
was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.